What's up? What's up? Another week, another podcast. This is your favorite football podcast, the Football Academy. I'm your spoon tonight with Braden. How's it going, sir? Uh, it's a it's a good evening. Um, it's a lot of exciting things happen this weekend in both kinds of football. Um, so I'm right here to talk about the Premier League. Um, maybe not talk about our results so much, but that's okay. Indeed. I mean, we have to get started with the betting results of um, this past weekend, Shoria with the Owen three really seems to have lost his track after those first couple of weeks. So shorter best bets. You better be um, getting some easy ones up next. Cause looking rough for you, buddy out there. Brayden, you want to run them down on our results? Yeah. So for the rest of us, and again, if it's the first time that you're listening to the football Academy, first of all, welcome. I hope you uh, hang around, listen to us a few more times, smash that, uh, follow button and uh subscribe and give us a five-star review uh if you can uh but so what we do here every week is uh in the preview show we are going to um, take a look at the three-way money line uh, for each of the games we put 100 pod bucks on it and this show we tally up the results and kind of see how we all did uh so in this week uh getting four of the 10 matches right uh, we've got sapoon in third place returning 775 pod bucks and 45 pod cents. I was second with 853 pod dollars and 53 pod cents. And Will, who is not here this evening, so he can't rub it in our face, returned a nice uh, 1360 pod dollars and 45 parts pod cents. So well done, Will. Uh, shame you're not here to tell us about it. And I'm glad I don't have to hear about Danny Ings right now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We can get started with the first game, and it was an absolute cracker at St. James's Park. I'm not going to call it whatever the bullshit name it's called nowadays. Um, Newcastle United won, Leeds United won, one of the most entertaining first halves I have seen in a very long time in Premier League. Like, especially between two teams that you kind of, Newcastle definitely isn't a brand that you uh, really relate to attacking football. But St. Maximum, Joe Linton, everybody was out there. And a brilliant goal by St. Maximum to cancel out Rafinha's brilliant goal in the first half. And then the second half, you know, players got tired. They fell off a little bit. And the game ended 1-1. I was so mad because I did say this is probably going to end as a draw, but I had peg leads just because of my belief in Dan James. He looks not fully fit right now. That's not, not fully fit by lead standards, I should add that like he looks fit but like he's not fully fit by lead standards but Rafinha what a player and St. Maximum what a player and do you think these two did uh, well enough in this game that maybe even in January there are teams that look at them and go hey maybe that's a player that can help us out yeah I, I don't know this was a wild game to watch in my opinion like it was just it, Newcastle when I think of them they're very They've always been in the past a very counter-attacky team, and maybe you could say it's exactly what happened in this game is they just let Leeds attack, and it was just like punches back and forth on the counterattacks. And but the the way that Newcastle set up, and it just like it just seems like they ignored Rafinha out there on the wing. It's like you're gonna give probably their best player with respect to Calvin Phillips, like probably leads best attacking player at least in Rafinha you're just gonna give him all the space in the world like there were times where like the fullback would come inside to cover 
like not really anyone in particular and <laughs> just leave Rafinha out in the wing. And it's just like you had Leeds committing all these bodies forward. And then, you know, it would just go back the other way directly after with Almiron, um, um, St. Maximum and all the crew that Newcastle have there. So it was just, like you said, a really fun first half to watch. <laughs> so many shots taken in this game. I kind of think these two teams played pretty even. Like, I think the draw is deserved on both sides. I, I think that maybe Leeds could have taken a, f- taken a few more chances. Uh, but overall, like, I think it was a pretty even game with maybe Leeds a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I, I, if you're Newcastle, I think you have to be okay with the draw here. I think that most people would say Leeds are a little bit better team and Newcastle are kind of, I still think maybe finding their footing for the team this year and I it's well done for them leads. I think you gotta be a little disappointed here in this result. I mean, I, I kind of want to agree with that just because of the overall gameplay from Leeds. at the same time. It was Melia who had to make the most critical save in the game. Like it was a, like a point blank shot that went straight at Melia and that I think it kept it 1-0 at the time after which uh, Maximum scored. But, I mean, Newcastle, for what it's worth, man, like against Man United, they played really well. I said it back then as well. The result didn't quite reflect the overall game that Newcastle played. And even here, like they took their chances. And the one thing I have to give Steve Bruce, like there has been a lot of criticism of him and whatnot. He's given the license to the likes of Amaran and Maximum to go do their thing. And at the end of the day, like, if you come out all guns blazing against Newcastle, like, they have that firepower that they could punish you. And, I mean, St. Maximan with that fucking Gucci headband, like, my, my, my boy just likes to ball out. And I keep saying, like, he reminds me a lot of Mane at Southampton. Probably not as refined as uh, Mane was as a player, but I really like where Newcastle's headed. And I think... They do will need to at some point convert these good performances to wins in order to you know make sure they don't get sucked into relegation battle again. But so far, as you said, like Newcastle probably happy with the draw. Leeds, I mean, we can keep talking how their manager invented football, but at some point, the point of football is to win games, and you know I think we got to see Leeds also start getting points because, funnily enough, like they, neither one of them have won a game so far. So yeah. We'll see how uh, both of these progress, but a very, very entertaining game nonetheless. Moving on to the first game of Saturday, Wolverhampton Wanderers against Brentford. Brentford to Wolves. No, I'm sorry, Brentford. After all the hype I leveled on you, I did not pick you to beat a Wolves team that kind of looked like they are figuring things out. And Brentford, with their two-striker system, played really well and kind of, in my opinion, outclassed Wolves. And it wasn't the case of, in my opinion, Traore or somebody like not finishing. This was like Brentford playing really good football and a team that looks like, hey, we're in the Prem. We're going to stay in the Prem kind of a story. What did you make of this game, sir? I think that's a really accurate description of this game. I do not think this was a case of like, like you said, Wolves missing some chances and and it just not and going Brentford's way. I think they were dominance may be too strong of a word, but I think they were in control most of this match. If you look at the shot chart, it's exactly what you want to see. Lots of shot shots in the middle of the area, um, you know, just outside the, the six yard box. And I, I think, 
you know, you really see the style of Brentford and this this team that like maybe maybe this is taking it a little bit too far, but I think you see a team that's very smartly coached and where they try to get the ball and they try to get it into the places where they're going to score goals and higher extra chances. Like in this one, there's not that many shots, but they're all in good locations. And I think that's a direct result of them being a very like smart team when it comes to where to get the ball to, to create these chances. And I Brentford, especially when you get have throw the red card, in there i think just a really good job uh by them to to take control of this game and see it out even down to 10 um so lots of really good things for brentford i kind of had them regressing a little bit um right now but they're showing no signs of that this is a really strong game for them wolves i i wanted to talk about you know earlier wolves had some really nice performances and just weren't getting results. And this seems to be a step back from there. This performance, I don't think was as good. I think they really should have tried to pile it on a 10 man Brentford and just couldn't really get it done. And I, that's maybe a little concerning for them because they've had some really good performances. They seem to have taken a step back here. Um, they're going to need to be more consistent and start getting some points. Um, or I don't know. It's too early to start throwing relegation around, but like a little concerned by this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we should be a little concerned. At the same time, Brighton started scoring this year, so somebody had to take over the XG uh, mantle from them, and it uh, seems like Wolves are going to do just fine. However, comfortable win, even down to 10. Um, that's all I really have to say. Moving on to the next game, Norwich City 1, Watford 3. I said in the preview, Norwich are stupid, not that stupid. I'm sorry, Norwich. I gave you guys too much credit. You guys are fucking stupid. And more than that, like, if you're looking at an attacking team, like, your XG was 0.78 compared to Watford at 2.42. Like, so at home, that's just not good enough from Norwich. Like, at some point, the FA and the Premier League need to come together and be like, hey, from now on, if Norwich get promotion, can we just get a different team in? Because they're going to just go the fuck back down every time they come up. This to me is a really worrying performance for Norwich because I think you could excuse a lot of the early schedule. They had a lot of of pretty tough teams and Arsenal. This this should be really concerning in my opinion because Watford are not that great of a team, and so for Watford to come in and you know this wasn't a lucky three one result like he kind of alluded to. Watford has two point four xg. Norwich has point seven. Like. It, it, Watford pretty much controlled this game and deserved to win. And I, I wish I'd leaned into it a little bit more and, and put some money on his scar as a goal scorer, because I did mention that he was kind of the one player that you think could be a difference maker getting two goals on the day. Like just, I, it's really surprising to me that this player is still with Watford. Like I think he does a lot of things really well and, uh, he's just a very good attacking talent, um, and I would be kind of – it would not surprise me if he was not a Watford player in February. But um, if you're Watford, this is a really good result. Um, they need to get three points in some of these teams that they can – you know, whether you want to call it a relegation six-pointer, whatever you want to call it, I think this is a really strong result for them. And uh, this will go some ways to getting the points to stay up. 
Yeah, and I mean, at some point, like Watford need to look at um, their manager and say, hey, like he had the same chance last time around and did not do well. And I don't know why, like you're so confident, maybe because he's a great championship level manager and that you want to keep him because you know you'll keep coming up. But at the same time, like this is just not a good look for Norwich. And for what it's worth, I think they are probably nailed on favorites to go down in the 20th position. However, uh, things might change moving forward. I will say also talking about Norwich uh, on the concept of their manager, like they sold Buendia and they just kind of spent that money. Like they didn't really reinvest much more than that into the squad. And I, that surprises me a little bit because I think that, you know, after doing the yo-yo the past couple of times they've been up, I, I kind of get like taking some of that money, whether it's paying debts, whether it's making like investments and things, I, I kind of, get maybe not going all in the first time up, but they've been in and around the Premier League a few times now. Like I, I would like to see them maybe be a little bit more ambitious and go try to spend some money to stay up somewhat. Cause I don't think they're that far away, but it's just, I, it, you look at it and you kind of go down the roster and it, it, you don't really see how it's going to stay up this year. Yeah, and I mean, their lord and savior, Brandon Williams, hasn't really done anything so far. And uh, Billy Gilmore, I think he's a phenomenal player, but I don't quite think like he is really the replacement for Buendia. And the, as you see, like, at the end of the day, even with Buendia, they went down and, like, I, I don't know what happens with them uh, moving forward. However, I feel like they're also cautionary tales. Like, you see what's happening with the uh, Derby County right now. Like, they tried to win the lottery, could not, and now are in administration. So, like, for what it's worth, like, at least Norwich is not in that terrible a situation. Because I know, like, Fulham's come up a couple of times and, like, spent hundreds of millions of dollars and still not managed to stay up. So, like, Norwich probably look at this and, like, over time they will. But at some point, like, something's going to give. Like, if they keep getting relegated, one of these years they're not going to be able to come up. And I think it's going to be worse for them. But... A good, good win for Watford, nonetheless. A big three points away from home. And talking about three points away from home, another team that really needed it, Arsenal, won a win at Burnley. I mean, we can start here. A big, big win for Arsenal, in my opinion. I think uh, very much needed this win. I did not quite see a 1-0 win, but the defense seems to be shored up. The only sign of concern was when that penalty was given on Ramsdale and it got overturned and I thought rightfully so got overturned. And outside of that, Burnley did not necessarily have any chances. I will say for Arsenal, like at some point you're going to have to start playing a little bit more attacking football, but right now you need the three points. You get two wins in a, uh, on the bounce and prepare yourself for the North London derby. I, I am so happy to talk about this game. <laughs> uh, mostly from not from it being a brilliant, like, dominant Arsenal performance or anything like that. But one of the things that Arsenal has really struggled with the past few years in especially has just been going and competing against some of these more physical teams. Like you had Xhaka getting sent off against Burnley uh, last season. Uh, Xhaka also kicked the ball off a Burnley player in this fixture last year, but you know, whatever. Uh, but there's, it's been a pretty steady pattern of Arsenal kind of getting bullied around in this game from a more physical Burnley side. And this one, I mean, Tomiyasu won. I, 
it was either eight of eight or nine of nine. It was aerial duels, like a hundred percent aerial duels from a right back against Burnley is really impressive to me. Like Gabriel won a lot of aerial duels and just also being very, very physical and, and matching the competitiveness of the Burnley side. And in some ways, like it, it can kind of feel like a war of attrition sometimes against Burnley. Like they're going to have the cynical fouls. They're going to like try to beat you up in the box and, and all that sort of thing. And, you know, Arsenal did exactly what you want to do. They made the cynical foul against Saka to stop a counterattack. And Odegaard just bangs a free kick in the net, says, like, fuck your cynical fouls. Like, we're we're just going to be better than you at this time. And in the end, that was a difference. Like, yeah, Arsenal's got things to fix going forward. Um, there's a few there's a few passages of play where. Arsenal really had players through and just really lacked the final ball quality to to get a good shot off. Like they're in transition and it's just a misplaced pass, not enough pace on it, that sort of thing. It's a little worrying. It's also the sorts of things that you think can go right in a future match and end up better. So we'll see. Arteta will need to figure it out in the training pitch. But, you know, three points away at Burnley and and a pretty comfortable three points outside of that penalty shout. Like I, I think Arsenal were pretty much in control of this game, which is not something that they've really had uh, against Burnley in the past. Yeah. I think that is a fair, fair way to look at it. And at the same time, I will have to say that Burnley, another team, like they always seem to figure it out in the same half of the season, but again, not a great start for a team that I think if, they need to look at Crystal Palace and how they kind of changed their ways after Roy Hodgson's left and kind of plan towards that, in my opinion. But staying in the Premier League is more than good enough for them right now. And that is what they will aim to do. Moving on to the next game, Liverpool 3, Crystal Palace nil, an absolute, I shouldn't say dominate. I mean, it was a dominating performance by Liverpool at home. Like they outclass Crystal Palace. That is something you kind of expect. For a team of Liverpool's quality, I thought Crystal Palace presented themselves pretty well in the first half. And then once Liverpool scored the first goal, it was only a matter of time before the rest started coming in. And a very good ending to the game in uh, Naby Keita's goal. I think he needed that. I think Liverpool fans needed that from him. And um, we'll see how they kick on. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Like I think Palace were decent enough in this game. The scoreline doesn't to me reflect how this game like actually went but I, I think you nailed it on the head like once Liverpool scores the first goal it's it's just very very hard to to keep up with them because like then that's when their press really starts getting to you and you really have to take more chances and then all of a sudden you're you've got Salah one-on-one with central defender and and you're in a lot of trouble in a hurry and I, I mean, I, I kind of think that's mostly what happened in this game is Liverpool, when they get the first goal, especially at Anfield, they're very, very difficult to beat. And they just kind of leverage you into making worse and worse decisions and playing their game. And you know that that's really all that happens here. And, and that's kind of fair enough. Like Palace don't really have the talent to go to Anfield and beat Liverpool. So I this is kind of, I don't want to say what you would expect, but... I think Palace did give a decent enough account for them, even if it's not reflected in the scoreline. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And that is five games in 
we have some big, big controversies with the two Manchester clubs coming up. We also have the absolute slacking of Rafa Benitez and Everton's title hopes coming up. So join us on the second segment. Man's title hopes in there like we wouldn't notice. (laughs) What is up, guys? Back with the second segment of this podcast. And there's no better place to start than the Etihad where the fans were still lacking and the performance was a little lacking as well from the defending champions, Manchester City, who I think in total had one shot on target against the Southampton team that play a pretty decent open brand of football. Manchester City nil, Southampton nil. And I think you, the only place to start this whole conversation has to be the Kyle Walker red card penalty. It's given, uh, I forgot, I think Phil Dow or whoever the fuck the manager, uh, the referee was goes and takes a look at uh in the screen and i don't know how you overturn it i understand you not giving it in the first place and then sticking with that decision but like that's a clear penalty right like that's not me just my man united fandom talking that is a clear penalty in my opinion no i thought it was absolutely a clear penalty like I didn't see it live. I went back and watched uh, Moses' game, uh, and I'm I'm 100% with you. Like, I do not understand how that was reversed on VAR. Like, I, 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 I do not have an explanation for it. Like, I would like to see someone's explanation for it because I, I don't really have one. Like, it, it, he misses the ball entirely makes contact with the player. And like, I know that they're doing this whole, like let the game flow, that sort of thing. But uh, to me, it's just a clear penalty and probably like, maybe you could go back and say it's not a red card, but to me, it's a, it's a penalty. Like I I don't under, I don't understand that reversal at all. Yeah. I mean, I I thought that should have been a penalty and, I think uh, what's the the city fans are going to look at the offside ruling and how like that kind of canceled their winner and be like it kind of cancels out. But in my opinion, like it's you should Kyle Walker that should have been a record. Like he did not get the player, and people can say all they want about how like he was supposed to like about to go down and all of that kind of stuff. How do you know that? Like for all you know, he was in the air because he was about to shoot the fucking shit out of the ball with his left foot. Like, I I think people have made an assumption of what was the player going to do, but in my eyes, like that should have stood, that should have been a penalty, and uh, my plus fifteen hundred bet should have hit. Yeah, I I think that's that's pretty fair. Like I I'm with you about like trying to extrapolate as to whether a guy is falling over, and I think the reversal for offside is just like as sort of that evens out is is just entirely false like offside is whether we like it or not in the premier league especially with var offside's a pretty black and white decision like there's not a ton of room for interpretation on that and you can debate whether we like that or not um and and yeah that part's debatable but as far as how it's ruled I, I don't think it really is like it's pretty much it's either offside or it's not and so if VAR decided it's offside like it's offside it's offside <laughs> Boy. yeah so like yeah, and I, uh, to I, me that's those don't even out at all 
Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And especially with the game against Chelsea on the horizon, like missing a player like Kyle Walker would have been huge for Manchester City. So I think the repercussions of that reverse decisions we will see in the upcoming week. But Manchester City, man, just like last year, this year again, seem to have started a little slow. We shall see how their game against Chelsea go. And if you're interested in learning our thoughts, follow the podcast and we will give you our betting thoughts on the Chelsea-Manchester City game. But for now, we are going to go ahead with the Aston Villa-Everton game. Aston Villa absolutely bit-slapped Everton 3-0. I mean, we kind of joke about this, that analytics does not take momentum into account, but it, it legitimately, once the first goal from Villa went in, it was just all Aston Villa again and again and again. And... Kind of great like to see Leon Bailey come out with a cameo and like getting substituted in the second half um, on and off. But I hope he's okay. And, I mean, if you need to take some rest, take the rest against Manchester United. But what a brilliant, brilliant performance by Aston Villa, especially in that second half. I thought Everton were a little defensive. I think without Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you really see the difference he can make as a goal scorer. But even with him, like, I think... That Dinia own goal kind of just tilted the game upside down. Like, even at 1-0, I think if Everton had just kept their calm, there could have been something they could have salvaged. But once it's 2-0, it's pretty much done deal. And then Leon Bailey, what a goal. But the kid, and uh, very happy for him with his uh, story as well. Yeah, I've got to agree with that analysis. Like, I think that this is just a a case, uh, and we talked about this mid-game again, like, Every player tells you momentum is real and and like analytics tells you it's absolutely not a thing. And I think you saw it in this game, like whether you want to call it analytics, home field advantage, whatever you want to call it, not analytics, whether you want to call it uh, momentum, home field advantage, whatever you want to call it. Like, I, I think you saw that this was a real thing in this game and Everton just, you know, especially like you said, after that Dina header, it's like they couldn't put passes together. It's not just that they weren't that they weren't like attacking as well, but like guys started getting caught on the ball, like or Villa's press was really became uh, oppressive against uh, Everton. And I think you just really saw like Villa when they smelled blood, they just really went out and and snatch this game and there wasn't really much that Everton could do. I, I think you're hundred percent right about um, Calvert-Lewin being missing. I think it's a real big piece that it, that is missing for this Everton team right now. And you can really see it in this team where, you know, Rafa has done incredible things with Solomon Rondon in the past, but like, he's not the guy anymore. Like I, it wouldn't surprise me if he like shows up and just like takes one of our teams apart. Cause like for some reason, like Rafa seems to know how to make this guy tick. Uh, certainly did well at, at um, Newcastle with him, but I, I, you, this team looks really bad. Once you remove Calvert Lewin from it, bad is probably not the right word. They look pretty average, when you remove Calvert-Lewin from it, and they just miss that focal point that a lot of things are built around, whether you're talking about, like, Dean putting in crosses or, um, 
you know, Townsend putting in crosses like it, it needs kind of that dominant central forward. And when Calvert-Lewin's not there, they're really, really missing it. Yeah, 100% agree with that. And I mean, credit to Aston Villa, right? Like they have haven't had quite the results and needed to get this win and a big, big win for Villa Park. And happy to see those fans kind of um, just live it up without Jack Grealish being there. And this kind of what I keep saying the over and over again about a player like Jack Grealish, like, yes, he is phenomenal. But when you get 100 million, like, go invest the money properly and you will see the benefits. And you kind of are with Leon Bailey, the Buendia signing and so on, Danny Ings as well earlier in the season. So you're going to see more of this. And I think they look collectively just as decent without Jack Grealish as they did with Jack Grealish. Moving on to the next game, Brighton to Leicester City. One Leicester start of the season has been worrying to say the least. They are tied on points with Arsenal, uh, something that is there for everybody who knows the inside joke about that. And for us, like Brighton, I trusted you last year and you're repaying all that faith this year because Man, Grand Potter has those boys playing some good football. And Leicester, like, Europa League, everything, like, I think the squad's good. They fucked up a lead in the Europa League as well. And then this result, I think Brendan Rodgers got to get the guys going again because this could go from a very, very good team to suddenly a lot of questions about them very quickly. I, I fully agree with that. Like, I think that this is a... Brighton team. First of all, we should we should talk about Brighton here because I think they deserve a lot of credit for the way that they played and really uh, took it to Leicester for most of the game. I think that uh, Brighton, like you said, they're just playing good football right now, and you've got uh, Mafe's contributing goals, Danny Welbeck getting on the score sheet this game. Uh, they've had a lot of guys uh, kind of go through and chip in here and there. Trossard, I think a week ago, uh, got on the score sheet. Like they have. Uh, it it's almost like we talked about last year they needed that striker that clinical finisher and i maybe they didn't really need just that although i still think they would probably be better from it but they seem to be getting goals from lots of different places uh so far this season and that's gonna serve them well if they can continue to do that it uh, it looks to be a really good situation for brighton and they've gotten off to a really strong start uh, Lester, oh man, almost the exact opposite. Like I, I would be very concerned about this team if I were a Lester fan. Like it's not just that they haven't gotten results that they wanted. It, it just, it just hasn't really looked good for them. Now this was a little bit closer in some of their other games as far as XG goes. Um, one point four seven for Brighton to one point two five for Lester, but I, they're just not really getting they're just not really getting their playmakers with um, good chances on goal. Like I, I was looking up um, touches in the box stats and they're currently 18th in the league uh, with only Brentford and Norwich behind them. Like I, they're, they're not really getting the ball into dangerous positions. And, you know, that's kind of fine if you're maybe like a Burnley who just wants to cross, like the only touches in the box that you have are Chris Wood headers, but like, that's not really what Leicester do. Like they're a very direct team, but they they do play a little bit more than that. And I think it's very tough to be this Europa League uh, top four contending team and play that way. And so I I don't know. Like I think that whether you want to talk about, I know we got a goal this game. 
if Vardy's getting a little bit older, I don't think that looks quite as sharp as it has in the past. Um, I, something does not feel right to me overall with this Leicester team, and I think we're seeing kind of the results that follow that. Yeah, I very much agree with that, and I um, I think it, it's no secret to anybody who listens to the podcast that I absolutely adore uh, Graham Potter and the way he plays. Another person that I think deserves a lot of credit is Dan Ash, Ashworth, who came from the FA, who was uh, kind of developed the elite development squad for England, both in the men's and the women's game, as an FA technical director. And everybody had pegged him as one of the guys to, you know, come to Man United, come to Liverpool, like one of these big clubs, and take over the development there. And he's gone to Brighton, and you're seeing the rewards. There's a philosophy in place, how they want to play, what they want to do. And a, a huge credit to Brighton. I still remember the first game. I think it was against Man City in their first Premier League game. And they had the stadium that looked absolutely beautiful. And I think we're finally seeing the rewards of the seeds that were sown a long time ago. So credit to uh, Brighton. I hope y'all continue just not good enough to be in the Champions League. But I will cross that bridge when we get there. And talking about crossing the bridge when we get there, Manchester United 2, West Ham 1. I mean, what a game. What a game. Benarama uh, taking the lead for West Ham early on with a deflected shot, which I didn't think was going to go in. But the deflection made sure it did. And then Ronaldo, I mean, bro, at 36, he's like the Tom Brady of the Premier League right now. Motherfucker just always scores. Always scores. I mean, he's played two Premier League games and scored both. So, like... 100% record so far. And after that, I think for Jesse Lingard, who had a horrendous mistake in the Champions League opener, turns himself into the hero and get what at the time looks like his strike is what's going to give us the three points. And then some absolutely wild calls. On one side, you see Ronaldo getting tackled by Zuma. That's not given as a penalty. On the other side, you see... I don't I I'm not gonna try to say who it was, but you see Luke Shaw having a handball inside the box. The referee goes to the VAR um monitor, gives a uh, gives a penalty. I was about to say red card, but he gives a penalty and you for once like see Solskjaer absolutely smash a bottle onto the ground. You see the emotions of the United players and man. You want to talk about a redemption arc? Like, yo, Europa League final, this motherfucker did not save a single penalty. And he didn't look bothered to save a single penalty. He tried. It didn't come off. David Moyes, who probably forgot to watch or take any lessons from the Euro finals, brings on Mark Noble as the last kick of the ball. And David De Gea, after conceding 40 straight penalties, including shootouts, 40 straight saves Manchester United and the three points. And that was like, that was just stunning. And something that I had not seen in a very long time from David De Gea, which I mean, the last time he had done it was 2014-15 season is the last time he had saved a penalty for Man United in the Premier League. And he came up with a big, big save. You saw how much it meant. All the players going up to him. Solskjaer coming up to him. I have a lot of thoughts. But before that, Braden, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think we need to decide how exactly we're going to break this down. And I, I I, wanted to start with everything up until the Jesse Lingard goal. Because uh, I think like that's almost like one game. And then the last like five minutes was an entirely another game. Um, yep. I, 
I think you got to get a lot of credit to United in this game. Like it's very easy to, especially against a West Ham team that um, they play pretty decently at home. I know that they are coming off of uh, Europa League midweek, and I think that very much played a factor in this game. I think West Ham looked exhausted in the last 20 minutes of this match. Some of that is a pretty high-intensity match with both teams going at it. I think a lot of it is also a smaller squad from West Ham uh, coming back midweek from Europa League. And so I think you saw at the end, um, United was able to take advantage of that. Lingard was able to find some space that I think 20 minutes ago, like previous in that match, maybe he doesn't find that space. And I, I, cause if you know, energy levels are higher, that sort of thing. And I think that really made a key difference in this game. And, you know, you give Lingard a little space. He has the quality to finish and put away those chances. And that's really what you saw here is uh, two teams. I think I don't want to say played evenly, but I, if if the game was a draw, I don't think it would have necessarily been unfair. And, you know, you have Lingard step up and make a difference in, in that key moment. And, that, and that's sometimes the difference in these games. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think we should have had a penalty before that as well. I mean, I will also say Wamasaka's tackle on Sujek should have also probably been a penalty on the other side of the pit. So, like, you can say those two, quote-unquote, cancel each other out. But you know what? I- I'm going to say this. A lot of fucking people have said a lot of things about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his substitutions. Let's talk about substitutions. He brought on Jesse Lingard, taking off Paul Pogba that a lot of United fans on Twitter were fucking talking shit about. He brings on Nemanja Matic at the end, whose line-breaking pass is what takes out five fucking people to give Jesse Lingard the space. And, I mean, that goal is as good as any. So, all I'm going to say is there's a reason fucking Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is managing Manchester United. And there's a reason why you're fucking tweeting from your mother's basement. I. Those, uh, just going to put it out there. If you're that good a fucking coach, go get your UEFA licenses and we'll talk about it. Having said that, I think that Shaw penalty is probably a penalty. Like, uh, not probably. It's it's a penalty in my eyes. Like, the moment you see the referee go to the VAR screen at this point, it's like he's going to give a penalty. And I'm not even going to be mad about the Ronaldo Zuma situation right now, but you told me you had an opinion why Mark Noble came on. Tell me what exactly so, was David Moyes thinking? So mostly I I wanted to make a a kind of put a line in the sand of like the difference between this and what happened in the Euro final. Because I do think that they are slightly different situations. The main one being that you know, Mark Noble is an experienced professional who's taken lots of penalties for West Ham in key situations. And so whereas you've got guys like Rashford and Sancho in the, in the Europa or not Europa in the Euro final. And I think it's a different ask to have them come off cold and, and take a penalty kick versus uh, someone who's very experienced and kind of towards the end of his career, but should be able to step up and handle the moment here in this situation. So it's not that I still don't think it was smart. Like I, I think he probably should have just let rice or Benarama or, or whoever was his best penalty taker on the pitch, take it. But I do think the situations are slightly different. Like I think that noble should have been able to handle the pressure of the moment. Um, in, in a ways that maybe, 
you wouldn't expect as much when we're talking about the context of the Euro final uh, this summer, uh, specifically with Rashford and Sancho, who were brought in in very similar circumstances. Uh, so that, that's mostly what I thought about that. Like I, I still, I, it was a curious decision to me to to bring him on just to take a penalty, in my opinion. But uh, he clearly thought that that was the best decision for West Ham at the time, and. I, I I don't get it, and that's why you had uh, him miss. Ima- imagine being not with the hay in that situation, though, right? Like, it, it, as a team, and United, like, you think you won the three points, and suddenly a penalty gets given, and he's the guy who all of a sudden has to be there to save it. Like, he doesn't save it. A 2-2, I mean, deserved, undeserved, that's a different conversation altogether, but... He, he had to stand up tall and I, and here's what I will say. And a lot of people have come out and said like United didn't play well. They won the game like undeservingly quote unquote and so on and so forth. I've seen the athletic talk about it. I've seen the independent talk about it and so on. The only thing I want to say is there are two things that can be true at the same time. I think United did enough in that game to win the game. Like I thought we deserved to get the three points and yes, it came down to a penalty. I will also point to the penalties that were not given. At the same time, Ronaldo missed a one-on-one. Bruno hit the post. So, like, there were, it wasn't like we barely got out the win. And at the same time, like, you can also say that the quality of players United have had, has right now, they should be putting in a better performance, which is also a very accurate statement, in my opinion. So, I think these are things you can talk about, but, like, let's all stop being so reactionary about any time Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wins. It's like, oh, yeah, it's individual brilliance, it's this, it's that. Having said all of that, I want to put this in one context that maybe it'll affect things down the line. Maybe it won't. Manchester City dropping points to Southampton at home is not a regular occurrence. Like you don't see that very often. And they dropped points. Liverpool went out with a smashing performance out there and took the lead at the top of the table. For Man United, winning this game, especially after the young boys debacle that happened, they needed to make sure they got the three points for, if not anything else, for the feel-good factor to know that, hey, we can battle adversity and come out on top. And these are games that if you are going to win the title this year, next year, these are performances you need where you're not playing at your 100% and you still go to a very tough place. Like London Stadium is a tough place at the end of the day once David Moyes has taken over West Ham and go get the three points. And I think United can be proud of that and hopefully kick on their season again because, yo, like, I don't understand how you fucking criticize a manager who's top of the table. Like, he's not top of the table, he's third, but, like, he's equal on points with the two leaders. Like, I don't understand how one loss puts people so over the top that he's got to go and so on and so forth. So I think a big, big win. And I think you heard it from David Moyes as well. Like, he knew that, Maybe he made a mistake with Mark Noble, but at the end of the day, did not necessarily deserve to get the full three points from West Ham's uh, point of view as well. But that is it for me. I'm going to save my words about Man United's tough, tough game against Aston Villa for next. Having said that, the last game of the weekend, Tottenham nil, Chelsea 3. At halftime, it looked like we had a game. At halftime, it looked like Spurs might pull off something that we really saw them do it a couple of weeks ago against Manchester City in the first game of the season. And then Chelsea said, nah, I got it. 
Thomas Tuchel made a substitution at halftime to bring on N'Golo Kante, which I thought was a very rad substitution. Mason Mount had been not great until that point. And you see Chelsea take advantage of set pieces. You saw a deflected shot that went in to make it 2-0. And I think once that happened, the game was pretty much done. I think Spurs were really playing to keep it 0-0. And I wanted to pose this question before we talk about the game in general. Harry Kane, for much of this game, was playing as the left of a front three because it allowed Sa- uh, not Saka, it allowed Son to kind of go up and push, try to press Thiago Silva. And if you were Harry Kane out there, you look at Manchester City and Southampton, you think, if I'm there, like I can probably score a goal in that game to make a difference. And then you look at this game and you're being played out on the left, you play it down the middle and like you really don't do anything. And I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but if Paul Pogba makes such a huge desire to leave and then puts in performances the way Harry Kane has thus far, I think you would see a lot more criticism from certain pundits out there. And Harry Kane, I think, deserves a little bit of criticism on what he's done so far with Tottenham Hotspurs. I think that's pretty fair, but you can also just at Graham Soonis next time. Um, I I completely agree about Kane. I think he spent. I I don't have like any sort of stats to back this up, uh, but it just really felt like when I watched this game and a few other performances from this season. I just even watching the way that he will press goalkeepers and that sort of thing. Like it's a lot more kind of like token pressing and just like yeah I'm, I'm running up to to press the keeper but it's not like it, it's not really fully committed and that's not the Harry Kane that I've seen the past few years and if you're gonna if this Spurs team has a Harry Kane that's playing around like 70 to 80 percent I think they're in just a lot a lot of trouble and I I think you kind of saw that some of this game like I think Kane will be happy to take some penalties. I think he'll be happy to like go get on the end of some, you know, well-worked moves and that sort of thing. But I don't really see the Harry Kane that like put in the work for Spurs for all those years and, and just really kind of, whether it was, you know, just gambling to go for the one percenters and, and things like that that could make a difference in the game. Like, I just don't think you saw that from Harry Kane in this game are really a lot of the games he's played this season. And that's got to be a worry for Spurs. Um, as far as Chelsea, I think you also hit the nail on the head. Uh, when the deflected goal goes in, this game's over. Like, I, I don't think Spurs had really much interest in the game after that. Um, and you know, Chelsea at the end of the day, like they have the talent and the talent saw the way through. Like we can talk about, uh, we can talk about whatever we want to as far as like tactics and that sort of thing. And I, I think they were fine. But at the end of the day, we're talking about a set piece header and a deflected goal from N'Golo Conte of all people. Like, I don't think you're putting on N'Golo Conte to go hunt for goals. Um, and, you know, fair play to Chelsea. I just, uh, you know, I, it's not really luck when the talent is is kind of winning out but i i do just kind of think that that's what this mainly is is that chelsea are very 
defensively solid team that relies on their talent just winning up front and it's working for them right now so like fair play to them uh, but I, I don't necessarily think that this is a dominant Chelsea performance overall. I mean, I think the second half was very dominant from them. I, I, I that, have yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Like the first half, I think Spurs kind of shocked everybody and the way they came out in the uh, first half, pressed them high and kind of tried to negate what Chelsea really liked to do. And I think bringing and when you have a guy like Angolo Kante and knowing at the 45th minute that like hey bring him on and like the game changes completely, credit to Tuchel making that sub at the 45th minute and not waiting till the 60th. I think that is something I will give him credit for. But at the end of the day, I don't think Spurs are that good a team. Um, we will talk about them in the North London derby preview and what happens. But as far as Chelsea are concerned, they look like the team to beat so far, and. This Saturday, they take on Manchester City at home and win that game. And you have put yourself firmly in position to carry on and win the Premier League, in my opinion. Like, they have started the season very strongly. It was a very tough fought point at um, Anfield. And they seemed like they are knocking out pretty much every big game possible right now away from home. They've knocked out Anfield. They've knocked out Emirates. They went to the toilet bowl. And now you you're going to see them against Manchester City in their own stadium. So I think a win there will go a long way in making sure that Chelsea are the firm favorites on in the title race. I don't know what is going on with Man City, but that game is going to be very, very entertaining. And we will be here later this week previewing that and all the other nine games, giving you our thoughts on what to bet on and what not to bet on. And you can come up with your strategies after that. If you're wondering where Will is, he's working overtime right now. So he might not be here for uh, the picks podcast as well. We will make sure to get his picks and give you his thoughts on the games as well. But we'll be here later this week with the previews. Cheers, guys. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe, like, share, whatever you can so that, you know, we won't have to work for, uh, overtime. And um, maybe we can make this a full-time job. Cheers, guys, and we'll talk to y'all later.